Father, thank you for your word. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about. Um, I'll start again. It is angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Quote Jaws, I think I'm going to need a bigger boat. Not quite got enough room, but we'll, uh, we'll make do. Good morning, everybody. Um, before I get started this morning, um, I'd like to make quite a, a well, it's an important and a kind of solemn announcement. Um, and it's about uh, Ben. Ben, who you've seen this morning, Vicky here, All Saints. Um, I have to tell you all, I think Ben is trolling me through the leading and preaching rotor. Because last time I was stood up here, well, no, it's a couple of times ago, um, I was preaching on the Psalms. It was when we were going through our, our series in the Psalms. And I said to you, I love the Psalms. I love how, how deep and complex they are, how, how they're, they're massive in their scope. And Ben gave me the shortest chapter in the entire Bible. 
But he paid attention, obviously, because this morning we've got 13 verses that have got so much in them, so much depth, that I'm hoping we're still not going to be here on Wednesday. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start this timer on my watch, right? So we don't stay too long, and I'll, I'll try and keep things moving. But I love, I love Hebrews. Um, it's one of my favorite New Testament books. Kind of, it's up there with, with Romans for me, is Hebrews, just because it's got so much richness and, and depth to it. Um, so where are we in Hebrews so far? The writer to the Hebrews, as, as Ben set out for us at the beginning of, of this... Uh... Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've got slides. I've forgotten about those. Thank you, Liz. I wasn't necessarily expecting those to work, so yeah, great. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll try and remember and, and uh, give you cues for those. Thanks. Um, but yeah, Ben was telling us at the very beginning of our, of our season, if you like, on Psalms, that the... Psalms, uh, sorry. Psalms was before. Hebrews is now. The writer of the Hebrews is giving us this image of Jesus, the one who is better, better than everything. And as we went through chapter one, we had this whole list of accolades that, that kind of talk about how amazing Jesus is. He was there at the creation of the world, involved with the Father, um, involved in creating, sustaining the world moment to moment, um, preventing its return to chaos. He's the exact imprint of God, a perfect representation of God, um, the expressed radiance of the Father, if you like. He's a prophet above all others. Being God, he's the perfect messenger of God to man. He's a priest like no other, entering the Holy of Holies as the priests of the, uh, the past would do, into the very presence of God, but not doing it by the blood of, of sacrifice and animals, going there through his own sacrifice and sitting down there, his work once and forever done. And as the king, the heir of all things, higher than all the angels and deserving of glory and praise. And we could stop there and that would be enough for this morning, right? That, that's amazing, just all these things that, that Jesus is. It should give us this, this huge expansive view of, of all that Jesus is. But then Phil spoke to us and Phil told us that, it kind of went through the, how the, the writer to the Hebrews is telling us to hold on to this Jesus, to take hold and, and don't slip away. Take hold of this great salvation that we have in Jesus and never let go of it. Because if we're separated from that, there's no other way to be saved. So that's the introduction. Nice and light, okay? Um, and now we're on to the book proper. We've kind of had the teaser, if you like. We've had the leading and, and these, these images of Jesus and how amazing he is. And now we start to get into the writer, really taking a deep dive into some of these subjects. Um, and it helps us to build a, a mental model, if you like, of, of all that Jesus is. Um, and the, the writer does it in light of kind of the, the history of the Hebrews and the covenantal system and the sacrificial system. Hebrews gives us these, these truths. It helps us to build our theology of all that, that Jesus is. And it gives us a fuller appreciation of him. But you might ask, why is that important? Well, I want to offer you some thoughts. So we've got these ideas of, of Jesus as fully God and fully man. We've got these ideas of Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, of the one that was there at the beginning, the one who is the creator, sustainer. That's all great and good. But, but what does that mean to us. So this week at work, I was uh, helping to, to put together some training for some of our clients. I work in IT. So we're putting together a, uh, a package of training that was teach people about a computer program called Git. Okay. Some of you may have heard of Git. Some of you may have used it. If you work in IT, you might have come across it. It's, it's just, it's a bit of software that allows you to, to work with lots of people on, on an arbitrary, arbitrary set of files on a computer system, keep track of who's changing what and put changes together and all work collaboratively. That's all it is. But it's got a reputation. 
If we move on to the, the next slide, please, please Liz. Um, it's got a bit of reputation, this computer program, because it's, it's really well put together. It's super elegant under the hood, but actually the way people use it is really very simple because most people don't understand how it works. So people learn a few very simple commands and when something goes wrong, they kind of throw all their work away, just download a fresh copy and start again. They always go back to what they know and they don't really understand how to dig themselves out of problems or deal with new situations. It's a bit like maybe at home when your computer starts mucking you around. If you work in IT, if you know something about computers, then maybe you start clicking around, you get the task manager open, you kill some tasks, you restart some services, you close programs, you play with the files. If you don't, what do you do? You stop, you start restart it and hope it works, don't you? You go back to those basic things, okay? I want to suggest to you that it's important for us to build a mental model of all of what, who Jesus is. Put all these things together because it helps us Stop in returning to the very simple things of our faith. When we're presented with new things in our lives, when we don't understand what's going on, we've got a much more mature model in order to test things against, to understand the fullness of all that God is doing and all that Jesus is. And partly that's what the writer to the Hebrews is doing with this book. He's writing to people who are coming from a Jewish background and they're coming to the Christian faith and they don't really know how to reconcile the two. They're not sure how all this stuff they've learned in the past now fits with what they're learning in Jesus. And so that's what the writer is trying to teach them. And that's important for us too, right? For exactly the same reasons. Sometimes, sometimes theology is treated as a dirty word, something that is just useful for academics. But actually, knowing this stuff, understanding what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us, really helps us to build our own faith, really helps us to build a robust faith so that when trials and tribulations come, we've got something to fall back on. When we get questions about things, we can, we can fit them into what scripture is telling us and arrive at a biblical answer rather than just falling back on the, the pat answers that we might have learned from Sunday school in the past. And for me, that's why studying the scriptures, studying the richness of books like, like Hebrews and Romans is so important. So let's move on. Thank you, Liz. So this is the, the kind of outline um, that I'm, I'm going to refer to today. So we, we're going to split our reading into three, three quick sections. And I'm doing it just for, well, kind of for the sake of, of time, but also just to, to focus our thoughts. Because there's so much in here. We, we, could, we could go off in all sorts of different directions. But the three things I want to focus on today are salvation, sanctification, and the idea of, of family and covenant. And we're going to do that by, by splitting our uh, reading into, into those three sections. Hebrews 2, 5 to 9, 2, 10 to 13, and 2, 14. To 18. Um, so, those sections kind of break up and we, we, we start with this, this idea of salvation. And what we're going to look at is the, kind of the background of salvation. What do we really mean by salvation? It's a, it's a kind of a shorthand word that you hear in church, this salvation. Well, okay, but, but what am I being saved from and what am I being saved to and why is it important? Then we're going to look at um, sanctification. We're going to, going to explore that a little bit. And the potential in Jesus that we have to be all that we can possibly be. And then finally, we'll, we'll come and look at the, the kind of familial aspect of this new relationship that's available to us um, that we can have with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to try not to use kind of shorthand church words like salvation, sanctification, covenant. And if I do, I'm going to try and explain them because the whole point is that we dig into this and we get to understand it, right? Um, so let's, let's move on because I've, I'm talking a lot. <laughs> so 
let's look at the, the first section then, verses, verses 5 to 9. And we're going to concentrate on the, these verses that are quoted by the writer to the Hebrews. These verses that actually come from, from Psalm 8, 4 to 6. This, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the writer says this is, this is testified somewhere. But really, he's just saying it's come from the Old Testament. But it functions in, in several different dimensions here in Hebrews. And it's telling us various different things. If we, if we look at the history of this psalm, right? The, the psalm in its original context was reaching back and kind of giving us a pointer back to Genesis, pointing back to Genesis 126 and 128. And if you know your Bible, you'll know that those verses in Genesis are all about God commissioning humanity, right? So, so God has created people, he's created humanity, and he's given them dominion over creation. And we learn several things in Genesis, don't we, about God's creation of man. And let's forget for a second the kind of heuristicity of it. Let's just, just think of it ideologically. You know, this, this first man and woman created, Adam and Eve, and particularly uh, focusing on, on Adam being the, the forerunner of humanity. He was made in the image of God, made a little less than the angels, the psalmist would tell us, or a little less than, than divine, a little bit different to God, but made in the image of God. And this, this man, Adam, this, this humanity was given dominion, given stewardship over creation, given responsibility to look after creation. And in a sense, at the beginning, in this, this perfection that, that God creates in the Garden of Eden, humanity is, uh, sorry, creation is in subjection to humanity. It's humanity's role to steward creation. That's what started in, in the Bible at the beginning. And in this point, in the beginning, in Genesis, there is peace with God. Humanity is at peace with God. They walk with God in the cool um, of the garden. But things change. Humanity's position changes when Adam and Eve disobey God. Adam becomes, instead of this representative of all that humanity could be and this perfection at the beginning, Adam becomes a representative of fallen humanity. Somebody who doesn't follow God's plan, isn't all that he can be, loses the, the perfection of the garden. Adam becomes this, this archetypal person, the first human who tested God and lost all of what was promised in the Garden of Eden, lost peace with and relationship to God, relationship to humanity itself, to one another, and relationship to creation. But it doesn't stop there because the writer to the Hebrews goes on. The writer to the Hebrews brings in Jesus. In, in verse 8, we see the writer saying, in putting everything under him, and by him is referring to Jesus. So, so the writer is superimposing Jesus upon the, this psalm here and, saying, and, and essentially saying that we have this state where humanity is meant to be God's representative on earth, meant to be the, the steward of creation. But that's been thwarted by what happened. Now, the, writing, the writer is asking us to, to see Jesus projected onto this and the possibility of restoration. In 1 Corinthians 5.22, um, we have Paul writing, for as in Adam all die, as in Adam, this, this first representative, all are, all are lost, all are, aren't what they could possibly be. They aren't this perfection that was uh, envisaged by God in creation. But um, so also in Christ, all will be made alive. And so we're taking this image of, of Adam as the forerunner, Adam as the one who has, has fallen, and we're contrasting him to Christ, the one who is perfect, the one who provides a way back 
for humanity to God. And really, when we talk about salvation, that's the switch, that's the transaction that we're talking about. The world is in, was intended to be um, perfect when God created it. Mankind sullied that, broke that, it was thwarted. But Jesus makes a way possible for that to happen through his death, through his life and his death and his resurrection. The world is intended in the future to be subject to Jesus and his followers. The point being made is that the followers of Jesus are being restored to the position that was always intended, that was lost in Eden. But there's a now and not yet aspect to this, right? So the, the writer goes on and says, but, but we see that not everything at this present time is subject to him. Not everything is subject to Jesus. There's a, a now and not, not yet aspect to salvation and the kingdom of God. The world as it is today, isn't perfect, is it? We still live in a world that is less than it should be. Isn't the perfection that God envisaged at the beginning? We as individuals are not exactly how God would want us to be. We are, we are striving to be Christ-like if we believe in, the Lord, in, in God, and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're trying to follow him. But we still have the ability to fall and to fail. But it's a future time coming that the, the writer is alluding to, that the world today will get to a future point where there's a new creation to come. At the present, we don't see the full subjection of everything to God's rule. We don't see the perfection of everything. We don't see the completion of Jesus' restoration of his followers. But that is the destiny of the followers of Jesus. All that was lost in Adam and Eden will be restored by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can do that because of his humanity, because he's fully man. And by doing that, he enables all believers to be restored to this place of honor, to be in a place where they can fulfill their potential. So a couple of thoughts about that then. A couple of thoughts to ponder about what this, this kind of view of cosmic salvation means. But it reminds us something about humanity as a whole, right? Firstly, that the psalmist says there's inherent glory and honor in people. People are made in the image of God. And, and yes, humanity isn't all it was meant to be. We, we, we aren't perfect. We aren't all, all God would want us to be. We aren't fulfilling all those things that God pre-planned before we were even born. And yet, there are sparks of the divine in each and every one of us. Sparks of the divine each, in each and every person across the world. Each and every person has a potential to be what God wants them to be. Every person in the world has a potential to love and have compassion and live life to the full that Jesus offers. They have the ability to be creative and in relationship and be warm and loving to a greater or lesser degree. And that should help us as believers. When we, when we look at people around us, when we look at one another um, as believers, that should help us to see the potential in each and every person. Help us to see how God sees humanity. Help us to see through the Father heart of God, the, his love for the world, his desire for everybody to be restored. And secondly, it should remind us what we saved too, because so often when we talk about salvation, we talk about what we saved from. We talk about, oh, oh, you saved from hell. We talk about being, being saved from, from death and from sin. And that's not wrong. That's not wrong. Don't, don't mishear me. Um, but there's a kind of normalization going on because the natural state of humanity is to be 
living in sin. We are not perfect. We know we're not perfect, right? That's the ground state of humanity. And there's a certain normalization of that. So if you tell somebody, oh, well, you know, you're going to be saved from that, it doesn't necessarily mean anything to them. But if we turn that on its head and say, actually, look at all that you can be saved to. Look at all that Jesus offers. Look at a restored life. Look what that could be like. Look at fulfilling all your potential that God has laid out for you before you were born. Living life to the full as Jesus would have it. That's something worth taking hold of. That's something worth, worth grasping. That's something you could sell to people, right? That's something that we can get excited about. Ooh, let's move on for time. Sorry, can we get the next slide up, please, Liz? I'll try and speed up so we don't take too long. I know it's, uh, I know it's warm. Um, so, sanctification. Um, God conceived a new way of relating to humanity in Jesus, a restoration of the image of God in humanity by Christ, by, by his son. Jesus then is this perfect archetype of humanity, the, the kind of contrast to, to Adam. He's the start, the provider, and the finisher of salvation. He's the leader and the pioneer for a restored people. Uh, verse 11 says, For he who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified all have one source. And that hits upon another, another now and not yet that we have in these verses, right? When we talk about sanctification, we're talking about being made holy, right? We've just said people aren't perfect. We've just, just, just said that we are not in our present state. Um, even if we are believers, even if we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we still get things wrong. We're not all that God would want us to be. And yet in one sense... We are everything that God would want us to be because we are sanctified by God through the, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his, his agency in salvation. We're at the same time holy in Christ and yet called to be holy like Christ. There's a sense in which sanctification is both absolute and it's, it's progressive. Um, and it's often expressed in, in, in that our... Our experience of sanctification is, is both positional, like how we're seen before God, but also experiential, how we feel it every day in our lives. We're declared instantly righteous before God in a forensic, legal sense when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and and that's com- that comes out in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. But we're still called to a progressive experience of that, a confirmation, sorry, that we should be conforming to the likeness of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.21, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel honorable for use, set apart as holy. He will be sanctified. And that can explain some of our our present day experience of of being in the world, can't it? Um, Martin Luther, you may have heard of him, quite a famous German guy. Um, He said, um, Christians are both righteous and sinners one, at one and the same time. We're righteous on account of God seeing the righteousness of Christ and us clothed in it, and yet we're still called to that progressive work of becoming more Christ-like. A poor analogy might be um, what happens when the building's being restored. Hoarding goes up around the building to protect it, and you can't see necessarily what's going on as the building is being restored. Um, but that work's been done under the covers, and then at some point that will be taken away and revealed that actually that, that building will be perfect. Or maybe you know, a, a priceless work of art that, that's going through a, some work to, to make it 
make it what it was, restore it to its form and glory. That would be taken out of public view. It would be covered up and hidden away. The work done in the background to make it all that it should be and it brought back into the public sphere. That's kind of a, maybe a poor analogy of what's going on here. We have this sense of all that we have in Christ, his righteousness is, is given to us so that God looks upon that and doesn't see what's going on in our imperfection. And at the same time, in our Christian lives, we should be moving forward and, and becoming more Christ-like, walking in his footsteps. Okay, last slide, please, uh, Liz. So let's just briefly, I know we've been going a long time, um, just, just touch very quickly on this idea of, of covenant family. And really what I, what I wanted to get across here was, um, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a new relationship to God. We have a new covenant with God, right? We talk about covenants in the Old Testament, the, the way that people relate to God, the way that God speaks to his people and deals with them. And that's very much done in the sense of, of treaties. And the, the, the Jews were given the law, they were given the temple where they could meet with God. They were given a, a religious system um, that allowed them to, to respond to God and be in relationship to him. But what we have here in this, this section of Hebrews is what happens in Jesus taking on human nature is that he knows what it's like to be tempted and tested. He's a perfect intercessor on our behalf. He's a perfect high priest because he knows exactly what we go through because he's, he's been there. He's gone through that. He's, he's the one who has, as if you like, tested the waters for us and gone through it. And yet he has succeeded where we fail. Um, and it, instead of the, the kind of covenant being this, um, it's very much a treaty with God, it becomes much more of a, of a familial thing. We're brought into the family of God because of what Jesus has done. We don't just enter into God's presence at a time. Uh, if we were like a priest in the Old Testament. We don't just enter God's presence because of, uh, of sacrifice and system, but we enter God's presence because of all that Christ has done for us because we are now joint heirs with Christ. We have been made sons and daughters of God because we've been adopted into his family because of all that Christ has done for us his, through his perfect sacrifice and representation for us. We could go on and we could talk about that a lot more. Um, and actually, in terms of great high priest, we, we'll t- touch on that as we go through uh, later uh, chapters in Hebrews and we'll, we'll uncover a lot more about that. Um, so we've covered a lot and then skimmed over some, some bits there at the end just for time's sake. But I hope, I hope it's been helpful to expand our vision of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, uh, to expand our understanding of, of all that he has done, all that we have in him, um, and you know, there's a <laughs> there's a little boy that I, I knew many many years ago. We Helen and I used to do a, a children's camp, and what we did, we did uh, during the week, we'd have um, sessions, we'd have a, a workshop that ran during the week, and we'd, we'd pick a subject and we'd cover that during the week. It was for children who'd come to faith and we'd explore certain ideas. And um, there was one young lad, he'd adopted another one of the leaders and just hung around with him like a shadow all week. And he came to these sessions and we'd, we'd be trying to get into uh, deeper topics. And this little boy, whenever you asked him a question, would just respond with, Jesus. Jesus was his answer to everything. Just whatever question you asked him, well, it's Jesus. And, and actually, in a sense, the writer to the Hebrews is lifting Jesus up to that point and saying, look, Jesus is 
better. Jesus is everything. In Jesus are all these things, and it's amazing. You know, we've, we've talked about the kind of cosmic scope of salvation, the benefits we have in Jesus. Jesus being the one who, who sanctifies us. Uh, and finally, our privilege in, in understanding Jesus as the one that made, uh, the one made like us in order to make us brothers in the sense of heirs and therefore children of God. So I'm going to wrap up um, there, with that, with just, just with that outline. But I hope, I hope that's been helpful. Should we just pray together? Lord God and Heavenly Father, we, we are in awe of all that you've done for us in Christ. Lord, we, we look to the Lord Jesus and we just we fall down in praise and in worship. There is, is so much that revealed to us in Scripture and in these, these verses from Hebrews about all that he is and because of all that he is and all that he has done. So therefore, all that we can be and all that we can do through him for you. And Lord God and Heavenly Father, I just pray that, that as we leave this place this morning, we might leave with the people who've just had a, had a fresh appreciation of just how magnificent and glorious the Lord Jesus Christ is, how much he deserves our praise and our worship and our lives. And I pray that we might go determined to be ever more conformed to his likeness and to his character. For we ask all these things in and through his precious and worthy name. Amen.